0: Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IAMLIP.com. Trigger Warning Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies, and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. My name is Selena. Who am I? I am white. I am black. I am brown. And I am much, much more. I am a Christian. I am a Hindu. I am a Buddhist. I am a Sikh. I am a Muslim. I am Catholic. And human to the core. I am every person who did what they were supposed to do. Leave and tell. I am every person who was re-abused by the system. I am every person who was disbelieved by the police before I even began to speak my truth. I am every person who faced an unaccountable family court only to be silenced by their orders. I am Anonymous Us and here are our stories. Picking up from the previous episode, let's start from the day that Mel and her siblings' post-separation experience began. That morning, the children got up and went to school as usual, just like any other typical day, with no idea of what was planned, that their mum was going to the GP surgery under the guise of an inconclusive smear test to talk to the police. And if you've listened to previous episodes, we already know what happened there while they were at school. That afternoon, the kids came home to nothing. The house was empty. No one was at home. And that was strange. It wasn't like their dad not to be home at that time. Their dad had always worked the early shift, which meant he started at 5 a.m. and finished at 2 p.m., so he was always home when they got in. And I mean always. Never sometimes or now and again. He was always home on weekdays, Monday to Friday, in particular for when Sally came home from work. Yet, something stopped Mel from calling either their dad or mum. Intuitively, she knew something was off-kilter. So they waited. Ten minutes, twenty, an hour, and then, ninety minutes later, the key was in the door. Again, instinctively, they knew it was their mum their dad would confidently open the front door with command. Sally, on the other hand, would be hesitant. She'd put the key in the door and waited a few seconds before turning, as if she needed to take a few breaths to brace herself. And this day was no different to how she opened the door. But there was something else that was different. She came home much later than when she would usually come home from work. And then... On the days when she did come home late, due to being stuck in traffic or unable to leave work on time, she'd be frantic, worried and apologetic. Their dad would need a word. However, today, that frantic, worried apologeticness was not there. And it was evident, by the look on Sally's face, that something was wrong. Seriously wrong. Usually, Sally was good at hiding wrong, but not on this day. Straight away, the kids came flying at her with many questions. What's happened? Where's Dad? Is he okay? But when Sally didn't directly answer, a whole host of scenarios cascaded through their minds. Had there been an accident? Believe it or not, there was concern for his safety. Yes, Mel often thought it would be best if her mum left him, but at that moment, in that moment, she was worried for him. She didn't hate him. She loved him. They all did. So if something had, had happened to him, she wouldn't have rejoiced. And that goes back to what was said in an earlier episode. How do you explain that juxtaposition? Sally got her children to sit down. The questions were still coming in thick and fast. So she told the children, Daddy's not going to live here anymore. What do you mean, what's happened? came the series of responses. And there, Sally was stumped and realised she hadn't thought this through. Where did Sally go from here? What did she say? How did she talk to the children? No, she hadn't thought that far ahead. And to be honest, why would she have done? She didn't tell them about the GP's visit prior because she didn't want to put them through a day of worry either. All she knew was that she was going to the GP to have a chat with the police. Many things made Sally decide to take this step, apart from finally getting the opportunity to tell. She knew she didn't want to get him into trouble. She just wanted him to stop. She wanted an end. She needed an end. She didn't know what would happen. It's not like she woke up one day and decided to upend all their lives. Sally honestly thought she'd tell the police, then come home, after hearing what they could do, what her options were. After all, they would know best how to help her. She thought there would be a lead-up, a plan, a warning. Only after she knew more could she then talk to the kids. And to be honest, so what, if she didn't know how the day would pan out? She didn't expect him to go with her that day. He wasn't meant to be there at the GP's clinic. And at some point, he had to take responsibility for his own actions and reactions. No. She hadn't got him into trouble. She hadn't caused this. But she didn't feel confident enough to tell that to the kids. And to be honest, even if there had have been a warning, like many people, this situation was something she had never been in before. So why the automatic assumption she knew how to handle it when it came to the children? At the surgery, after Ian was arrested, Sally just left in utter shock at what had just happened and came home. She got a, will you be okay, from the nurse, and a reassurance that the organisation would be in touch about the emergency non-molestation order. But that was it. I can tell you from my own experience, there needs to be more guidance out there on how to talk, prepare and answer the children's questions, handle their reactions. There is quite literally nothing Yes, in some quarters, there's basic advice on how to talk to children when parents are divorcing, but not when it comes to a situation like the one Sally was in. That's what I mean by... Domestic violence isn't just about the parents. There is no advice on how to handle the children in all of this. As if they're not a part of it. As if a parent suddenly leaving isn't going to be an issue for them. Or they themselves have to leave and say go into a refuge it does affect them and it does destabilize them this is something mel brings up in her phd that how confusing that first evening was for them and not because sally had done anything wrong and yes that's the take the family court took it would be silly of us to think anything different One of the first things Sally needed to consider when talking to the children about this sudden change was to understand how much they already knew. As far as Sally was aware, the children didn't know a thing. The fact that there was abuse in her house, it wasn't openly spoken about or acknowledged. Sally had spent all her years trying to protect them, to try and give them normality. As far as she was concerned, the children didn't know. It's not secrets and lies or unhealthy dynamics and all the other bullshit thrown at them during their family court process. It was protection and cover-up. And no, not in a politically intriguing way either. Just lost, confused human emotions. Sally had kept quiet for many reasons. Shame and embarrassment, obviously. To also protect her husband, so people didn't think badly of him. Friends, family, work colleagues. She didn't want to worry them, but most of all, to protect the children too. Scared that if they knew, they would challenge him, try and intervene. And what if he turned on them? As long as he didn't hurt the kids, as long as he didn't move on to the kids, she could take it. Many victim parents believe that as long as the abuser doesn't hurt the children, then those children are safe. They are homed and fed. Did you notice that out of all the people Sally mentioned wanting to protect, her abuser, her children, causing worry for her family and friends, she didn't once mention herself. I wonder what judge traits make of that. They'll probably find some fault in it. Then another thing a victim may tell themselves. If the abuse takes place away from the children's eyes, in particular, the physical abuse, then again, they are unaware of it. In addition, the other stuff, the belittling, having a go, calling her stupid, that's not proper abuse that the children are seeing. Mel will tell you that that's not true. It did affect them. Granted, they were not hurt physically. But they were being abused they were experiencing abuse seeing it watching it feeling it it was causing them emotional trauma now for a victim survivor who is responsible not just for themselves but also others i can see when in this situation not thinking straight in survival mode in the middle of their during all of the above makes sense but unfortunately it is also a belief that is held by judges' straits. Children's services like Kafka seem to have this firm belief too. But these people, they're experts. No, they're not just experts, they are also decision makers. They need to be and they should be more informed. Let's put it this way the children did know, just not the finer details. And Sally didn't tell them the finer details because to her, They didn't know. And it's a confusing cycle of dynamics. Am I the only one who can see how a situation like this occurs? Now, say Sally did want to tell them the finer details. Where to start? So, did Sally start with, I went to the GP to secretly talk to the police and have your dad removed from our lives. I planned it with the nurse and it went wrong. As I said before, as far as Sally was concerned, the children didn't know anything. The abuse went unacknowledged. It was never a topic of conversation. So when the kids would inevitably say, why? She would say, because he hurts me. There was a chance they would say, no he doesn't. We've never seen it. Her fear was, they won't believe me question her motives for having their dad removed. But the real driving force? Sally didn't want to mess with their relationship with their dad. She just wanted it to stop. Then, moving on from this point, she was very limited in what she could say and not say, because she didn't know herself. She was unclear and unsure. This was something Mel realised when she was looking at everything years later when she was evaluating the events of her own family's post-separation trauma. That evening, no one spoke to Sally, apart from the local woman safety organisation, and that was concerning the non-molestation order. At the GP's clinic, the police arrested Ian, put him in a squad car and drove off. She wasn't asked to go in and give a statement. No one came to the house. No one called to check up on them, give them advice. What could they and should they do next? He'd threatened the children, threatened to kill them. Was that not taken seriously? And no way was she telling the children this. She didn't want to worry them, make them feel unsafe. What if that worry was unnecessary? She didn't want to worry them until she had to. So... Did they go to school the next day? Should they tell the school? Leaving her in the dark, was this standard protocol and procedure? They needed someone to take the lead. Usually, in the evenings, each of the children would be in their own rooms doing their own things, but none of them could face it that night. They were all scared to be alone, but most of all not be near their mum. So. They all sat together on the living room sofa while watching their mum taking phone calls from the safety organisation, making phone calls to the police to see what was happening. Mel says that this was totally destabilising for them, not knowing what to do, what was going on, and not because their mum had done anything wrong. And that's another thing I would like to bring up, how often Mel would add the caveat of and not because my mum did anything wrong, at the end of every sentence and statement, as if she had learnt that anything she could say would be blamed on Sally, and we all know where she picked that up from. So, for all of you who think that day spelt freedom for them, that's a joke in itself, because... Bang! You bitch! Let me in! The police had let him go. Ian was trying to open the door. He was unsuccessful. Sally had put the deadlock and the chain on. The children jumped out of their skin. He then tried the back door. Sally had bolted that. He was banging and shouting and threatening, I'll kill all of you. Sally knew that with Ian's temper, the fact that she had betrayed him by what had happened that day, she was in danger. He would kill her. But most of all, he would hurt the children so there was no way he was coming in. This was the first time the children had seen his abuse so obviously and heard him threaten them and their mum's life. Emily wanted him to be let in, thinking that if he was allowed to come back inside, he'd stop being angry. She was beside herself with distress. So what did Sally do now? Call the police again. On her children's dad, in front of them. She was yet to tell them what had happened earlier technically. Did she have the right to? As he said, this is my house, you have no right to shut me out. And there was no word on the non-molestation order. It was still his house. But that decision got taken out of her hands. A neighbour did call the police on hearing Ian scream that he would kill all of them. And the police came and chatted with him. Sally was watching from the window. And the children were watching from upstairs. And although they couldn't hear what they were saying, the police didn't look concerned or stern with him. Yet despite Ian being angry and shouting and aggressively flailing around, the police seemed to be quite calm, not even a hint of sternness from them. And then there was a knock on the door. Now, what would you expect the police to do? Say, are you okay? See if they were okay. Check on the children. Truly get a picture of what had just happened. Talk Sally through her options. Try and get an update on the non-molestation order. How to rush it through. And the dozens upon dozens of more immediate advice based on concern and welfare. Now, having listened to these podcasts, we know that didn't happen. The officers wanted to talk about Ian being let into the house. To collect his stuff, at least. Sally said no, and it was the use of the word at least. Were they planning on bringing him in and leaving him there? Were they expecting more for her to let him back in and stay? Okay, on an understandable level, of course, he needed his clothes and stuff for work. But how comes the priority seemed to be what their abuser needed in that situation? Actually, no, not priority. The only thing they were looking at, the only concern they were having. Yet they had been called by a neighbour to deal with a man who was shouting and threatening to kill his family. They didn't even ask Sally and the children about themselves. Their requirements didn't even crop up. But Sally did her best to fill them in on what had happened. She also mentioned the organisation and the non-molestation order. She mentioned what happened at the GP's clinic, that he was arrested earlier. She told them to go and speak to those two officers, hoping that all this extra information would alter the officer's stance. But no, they still wanted him to be let in. And it was the way they were asking, as if they were trying to cajole Sally into being reasonable. The one thing Sally was adamant about was that she was not allowing Ian into the house while the children were there because to her at the GP's clinic, he crossed a line. And her fear was what if he came in and started, attacked the children, threw things at the children, because these two police officers didn't seem to think he was a threat. And when Ian was confident enough to throw a table at a GP in front of two officers, what could he do to the children inside this house? No, he could come back tomorrow when the children were at school. And given everything that had happened, I would say that that is more than reasonable. But not to the officers attending. They tried to persuade her some more, but Sally remained adamant. Ian could come back tomorrow with an escort, or he could do without his things. As the officers were leaving, she heard one of them say to Ian, Mate, let her calm down. Sort it out in the morning. But there was no advice for her and the children. Now. Let's be clear, not once had Sally been rude or lost her temper. But do you know what went into the report when one of the officers wrote this up? To quote, Mrs Parker was insistent on not letting Mr Parker into the property. We felt it was best to come back with Mr Parker the next day when Mrs Parker had calmed down. Yeah, that's what was written up about the incident. That's what was on record and that is what the judge saw. Sally, in protecting herself and her children, was being seen as the unreasonable one, the instigator, the aggressor. And okay, here's where you may say, and rightly so. It's not the judge's fault. They're only going on what they read. Well, I beg to differ. It is, because that statement was part of a more comprehensive set of circumstances that were quite clearly set out in, one, Sally's own statement and two, several bundles. Three, statements from the GP's clinic and other corroborating evidence, which included the events at the GP surgery, coming round, threatening to hurt them. The judge did not once speak to the officers and asked, why is Sally's version of events different from theirs? Why did the neighbour call the police, saying that he was threatening to kill them, yet there is no mention of this in your statement? Sally would go on to be stitched up like a kipper. So, back to that evening, without a non-molestation order, or until it came at least, Sally and her children, they were sitting ducks. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.iamlip.com where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court, any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.